0: What if you could complete your MBA in just one year? Thanks to the College of Charleston School of Business, now you can. Their accelerated MBA program condenses a traditional two-year program into one rigorous year, ensuring you not only save a year of tuition and fees, but also re-enter the workforce quickly and graduate with critical business knowledge. U.S. News & World Report recognized the College of Charleston MBA as number one in the country for its job placement rate within three months of graduation. Learn more at mba.cfc.edu good morning and welcome to Beyond the Business, brought to you by the College of Charleston School of Business. The College of Charleston School of Business, where students are beyond ready to work, they're ready to make an impact. Each Saturday morning at 9, successful business leaders and entrepreneurs from across the Lowcountry talk about what it takes to succeed in business and in life. Now your hosts of Beyond the Business, Eric Cox and Leslie Haywood.
1: And great Saturday morning, Lowcountry. Welcome to another edition of Beyond the Business, brought to you by the College of Charleston School of Business, where students are ready or beyond ready to work, they're ready to make an impact. I'm just just waking up. I think this I morning. I know. Leslie. Good morning, <laughs> Good Eric morning. Cox here right? with Leslie Haywood for another great show today. How yes, are you doing?
2: I'm doing wonderful. Thank you so much for asking.
1: Here we are knocking on the door of March. Hard to believe.
2: I know. And then we got the basketballs in the, the basketball March. basketball
1: is full swing. Is it? And getting ready to go into March Madness, my favorite time of the year in Charleston. I know. So time to fire up the boat, watch basketball. It doesn't get any better in this level. Oh, no,
2: wine and food coming up. The oh.
1: only thing that makes it as even better than that is the fact that we get to come in here every Saturday and yeah. listen to great stories of entrepreneurship and leadership from around the low country.
2: I know. I'm so excited to continue our conversation from last week. We left on a on a really yeah p- kind of a pivotal point with our guests. So. We
1: did indeed. And in case you missed that show last week, simply go to our website at coastalwm.com. Click on that radio icon up in that right-hand corner, and we'll have podcasts of not only last week's show, but again, all of our shows going back for the last five years. Mm-hmm. And speaking of last week, Mr. Michael Rents, uh, who is the CEO and co-founder of AntiMatter, uh, did a great show and, uh, fortunate enough for us, decided to return. So thank you for coming back for another week. <laughs> and uh, letting us hear the rest of your story. Thank y'all for having me. Leslie has a tendency to run people off, Michael, <laughs> so every now and then we just don't know what's going to happen the following week. We right? only
2: have half a show.
1: <laughs> half a show, that's right.
2: <laughs> people just leave after so they get So when you have to... to run a
1: rerun, you know what happens. Yes, Leslie that's ran them fault. off. It's my fault. So, um, <laughs> Michael, we're going to uh, talk about you for a minute like you're not here, if that's okay. <laughs> um, Leslie, uh, as we always do, you know, we look back at the previous show and what were your big takeaways uh, from Michael's first half?
2: Well, it's funny. Um, I, one of the biggest things, and I this, I don't even think that this was a huge part of the show, but it was what his mentor, Jim Newsom did to him to make sure he was ready to go into the field that he thought he wanted to go into, which was, um, if yeah, go back and listen, um, go, being a lawyer was one of those things that our guest wa- thought he wanted to do. And so Jim made him um, basically interview and mentor with 10 different lawyers to make sure okay are you really ready to leave that behind i think that is great um for someone to gain that experience and really confirm that is what you don't want to do with your life and not necessarily you know find what you do want to do but what do you absolutely not want to do
1: Very interesting because I had a similar experience. I was going to go to law school, and somebody said, You need to go do some of this work with attorneys. And after doing some of that work with attorneys, like, I don't want to go to law school. So (laughs) uh, I guess there's a theme to that, right? Um, You know, I love quotes and I love, you know, thoughts along those lines. And uh, I really like the way Michael used the word truth uh, a very passionate, eloquent way that he explained that. And really just knowing yourself as a person and who you are and what values you represent. And it sounds like your entire life, Michael, has been developing and identifying the core. Of what truth is in your life, and so uh, thanks for sharing that with us. And you know, as we do, we always turn the page and say, "All right, let's hear about the rest of the story." Uh And for our listeners who unfortunately didn't get the chance last week to hear a lot about your your path, you know, we were talking about how you came through schooling and and went to undergrad at Carolina, ended up going to law school, ended up doing the MBA program at the College of Charleston, and had a great opportunity coming out of that to go work with Merck. And um, if you don't mind, let's pick the story up there again. Cause we went quickly through it and there's some key components of,
3: of how your path changed in the midst of that. Right. So I got the job with Maersk and they required me to move to their North American headquarters, which are in North Jersey, New Jersey. And so I accepted and I moved to North Jersey, not knowing anyone and started working for Maersk, part of the Maersk Line graduate program. Maersk is a fantastic company at the time. They'd been around 114 years, uh, they understand how to develop and run processes across time zones with culture, and, and they encourage you to travel and learn about people. So that is the, the best takeaway. If anybody's out there looking for a job, I would highly recommend to go work for Marist. It's a fantastic company. That being said, they gave me a great, a great opportunity. I, I built a startup under the Marist umbrella called Marist Trade Finance for North America, um, which was an interesting experience. I got to travel the world, you know, I got my appendix taken out in Denmark, I was hospitalized in India, I got I got stripes on my on my travel jacket. I, you know, I it, I was alone in New Jersey. I got to spend a lot of time with myself. And I really really love international business. And so it was it was a great opportunity, but they weren't paying me that much. And a lot of my friends that I went to law school and business school with were making two and three times what I was making and I wanted a side hustle. So that's why I stud I started antimatter 3d again which was a 3d printing supply company we were selling the filament which looks like fishing wire that 3d printers would print with and I was doing that you know on the side and one of the customers I was selling mainly to colleges and universities because there's no commercial application for you or I to uh, for you or me to have a um, a 3d printer at home but universities do they're called maker labs and so I was selling this material to them and I came across a company called beta box which is an EdTech, education technology company based out of Raleigh. My co-founder and the CEO of Betabox had had calculus together at NC State. And we called Betabox and had a conversation, and it took one conversation with Betabox, the CEO, Sean Maroney. Uh, I was like, I really like what y'all are doing. Uh, it, it would fit the profile and need of a state like South Carolina very well. Um, I, I'm going to run this by the governor and see what he says, and maybe there's an opportunity there for y'all. And I was really just kind of BSing him trying to sell the material and get on to selling material. But sure enough, I ran it by um, the governor's people who I'm friends with his children. You know, we're the same age and very, very good friends with them. And he loved it. And so he invited us down to the governor's mansion and we had a meeting. And five months later, we had procured, you know, some some money to try this beta box in South Carolina. And that was um, December of 2017. And so that was my first time of like working with founders and hearing what their ethos were and what they were trying to accomplish and going out and using my skill set and my network to help them. And it worked. And I really enjoyed that. And I like everything I've learned about investing in people. I learned from Sean Maroni, the CEO. That's the profile of the type of person you want to invest in. He's 27 now. And, uh, and so I reached out to the network and decided I wanted to try to help other startups. And so I had about between five and 10 startups at that time in the portfolio that I was doing things like this for. And I know the next question is going to be, well, how are you making money? Um, I would ask for a commission. I was like, let me go out and try to get you a large scale purchase order, whether it's from the government or a large, large corporate, because at the time I was working for Maersk, I was selling trade finance. The decision maker for a finance product is usually the CFO or the CEO. And Maersk has a, you know, a big book of business. So I had a good network and, um, so I would say, let me get a commission and the sales cycle and something like that is usually six, nine, 12 months. So in the six, nine, 12 months it took to procure that purchase order, you know, we'd really get a chance to work intimately with each other and what they liked the way I worked. You know, their words were, I'm polished, you know, and from a scrappy startup entrepreneur, polished means I knew how to send good emails. I knew how to write. I knew how to follow up. I knew how to chip away at things. And that I learned at Maersk again, because- They're very process-oriented, and if you're going to communicate with people in different time zones of different culture, you got to have your language right. So they said I was polished, and they liked the way. So I would usually end up getting some type of retainer, and I had a diverse skill set. Remember, I had engineering, law, and business. I could do a lot. For a scrappy entrepreneur that doesn't have any money, I was a godsend. Right. And then I said, okay, once I got the retainer, I said, for any of these large contracts I continue to pull in, I'd like to exchange that commission for equity. And they said, sure, fair enough. And I started to build my own portfolio. And that's how it all started.
2: And when did you, what was it that you finally were able to give up your day job? When did you say goodbye to Marsk? And what were the circumstances around getting rid of the, the corporate um, safety net?
0: Hmm.
3: I never saw the corporate as a safety net. I saw the corporate as a ceiling. And, you know, remember my backup plan was to come back to South Carolina and be a lawyer. Right. So I was like, okay, that allows me to be riskier. Um, I don't always do so well with authority just in general. So it was probably (laughs) a short runway to begin with, but I was working on four things. So my father was in a wheelchair. He had fallen out of our boat and broken his back from the waist down partially. And so at the time I had gotten him accepted into the, um, the stem cell research Institute of Panama. And so my sister and I were figuring out how to start a nonprofit to take him down there to get him treatment. I was architecting software for Maersk. I had figured out a way to, it was like a, an accelerated decision-making tool for our front line. Um, it was taking like seven days on average in the spot market to quote our customers because they had to go back to Copenhagen and then back to the front line. I figured out how to automate that with software. I was working on that. I was working on antimatter, so working with Betabox and all the other portfolio companies trying to help them grow. And I was doing my job that I was getting paid for at Maersk. But they had just offered me a job in Copenhagen on their corporate venture capital team called Growth. So I had those four things going for me. And this was spring of 2018. Um, And I remember talking to my therapist about what should I do? And she said, whatever you're meant to do will emerge. Just be honest, be truthful, and treat people well and listen. I said, okay. So I decided that I was going to do the nonprofit for my father, and I was going to take him to Panama. And so I wrote him and my sister an email Telling him that I was going to give up all these things. I was going to figure out how to pay for it. I was going to start a nonprofit. And I didn't want people to have to go through what mainly my sister had gone through because she was home taking care of him. And, uh, and I was going to do that. And I, I sent him that email. And I remember, you know, he's very biblical and, and religious. And I said, you know, y'all need to get right with God because I've made my mind up and this is what I'm going to do. And he died like a few days after that. Wow. And so one of my best friends from law school said that was the best compliment he ever gave you. And, you know, because I think to my father, again, from a small town in South Carolina, it was very important to be the man of the house. And months prior to that, like, in the, he had seen me come back to Columbia and work with the governor on some stuff. I think he had seen the look in my eyes about me finding my passion. I got sworn in as a, as a lawyer that, like, right before that as well. And I think he felt comfortable enough to, like, go on and and, you know, let me pursue my passion. So... That, so that happened. That was March twenty eighth, two thousand eighteen. So that was one of the four things. Had you know, as as my therapist had kind of like told me was going to happen. So I had the other three things. Part of the Mercklin graduate program is you have to graduate from the program. So I went to Copenhagen. I had been building the software. They told me it was too futuristic. I went and met with the team that I was getting hired onto in Copenhagen, and it's supposed to be the corporate venture capital team, and. Again, remember, I was building software in New York City the the, last, the six months leading up to this, and I was working with real venture capitalists. And I met the team, and it was a bunch of ex like shipping execs from Hong Kong or or Africa, or that had never done venture capital. And in traditional Mares fashion, they said they hire internally. They said, "Okay, now you're doing venture capital," and they wanted me to start at the bottom of the totem pole. And I'm from South Carolina, and you know, and and you know, we have. I feel like, you know, as Americans we have a saying that says string your stuff up to the top of the flagpole and see who salutes. And the Danes have a saying that says be careful to climb to the top of the flagpole because then everybody can see your balls. Uh, and <laughs> well, wow, and, I and, right? and uh, so yeah. I met the team yeah. and I was making money. i just gotten paid from some stuff I'd done for Betabox. And so the day I got back to New York, I quit. And that was July of 2018. And I had about three months runway. I wasn't getting that much money. You know, I had about three months runway. My lease ended at the end of August. And, you know, I said, let's see what you're made of. I think I was, yeah, so it was 28, 29. Oh, my gosh. And by the way, in case
1: you were wondering uh, whose incredible story that is that we're listening to, it's Mr. <laughs> Michael Rents, again, CEO and co-founder of Antimatter here in Charleston. And, and Michael, as you go through, <laughs> obviously, a lot in your life at one time, um, what gave you the confidence and the belief that you could walk away from this opportunity to go pursue you know, a smaller startup situation that didn't have, and I know I love your quote by the way about about the safety versus ceiling. But yeah. what was it that it just gave you the solace to know I can go do this?
3: I feel like I had a relationship with my future self. I feel like I could I understood what it what potential was, and it seems like the saddest thing that somebody can say about somebody is that he or she didn't live up to their potential and i didn't want to look back and and those aren't my words those are words that i had read and consumed and listening to podcasts i was living in morristown new jersey it felt like purgatory you know i was 25 miles outside of new york city and so the last train back to morristown was 11 11 p.m. so i spent a lot of time by myself thinking and reading and learning and got obsessed with psychology and psychology and philosophy and and more ancient trends that and that was it it was like these are, the, these are supposed to be the smartest people that we revere as human beings and this is what they're saying and they all had to take risks and so you know what is it in the movie Interstellar Matthew McConaughey's character says um, the best sailors in the world don't know how to swim and you know I wanted to see what I was made of
2: and how did you get back to Charleston
3: so my lease ended <clears throat> at the end of August so mm-hmm. I quit in July
2: and you're up there
3: and I was going into New York City every day, running around, just a little kid from South Carolina, like eyes wide open. <laughs> and I was convinced I could make it. And I had cu- people I was calling on and thinking and doing all this. And But a, a couple of my customers were in the South. Okay. And one of the companies I was working with was in Atlanta. And they liked how I worked. They're the ones that said I was polished. And they kept all, inc- trying to encourage me to come work with them. And I knew what I needed, and so I said what I needed, and they said they could do that. And I was in charge of my—I'm still a licensed attorney, so I was in charge of my father's probate, so I was handling that for my stepmom. And so I came back. I moved back into the house that I grew up in. My father built the house the year I was born. So it was the house, and his office was there. So I moved back into that home September of 2018, handled the probate, his estate essentially, was going to Atlanta, working in Atlanta, and and and— we made some big risk and they did not, they did not happen. There was, they flatlined. And so I was kind of basically running out of money. All my friends are in Charleston. So I was visiting Charleston and noticed that there were things here that weren't here when I left, you know, I left in 2016. It's now the end of 2018 and there were co working spaces, you know, the Harbor Entrepreneur Center. And I noticed that there was like, people ask me all the time, why are you back in Charleston? And, you know, I've been back 13 months and I said, I'm back for opportunity. You know, I never thought I would come back here. But there is something special happening here, and that's why I'm back. So when you look at
1: uh, when you were here before, you're back now, and you think about the startup community, what are the differences? And you say something special is going on. Describe that a little bit. What's going on in this community? What's the differences about what's happening in this community? Um, give us a little bit of the heartbeat of the startup world.
3: Traditionally, the, the dominant hierarchy in Charleston is Food and & Bev, and it's a tourist town. But there was a little peak of like entrepreneurial activity that I noticed that wasn't here, and that's a trend to me. And I was like, okay. So I just started. The first person I contacted before I moved back, remember, I was living in Columbia at the house I grew up in December. I contacted Jim Kinley, who is the director of my MBA program. And he set me up with Eric Tommy, who runs Venture South Charleston. And I met with them and asked them, like, what's going on? What's the deal flow like? What's the and, and I started to notice there was like a little budding ecosystem. And I remember like reading about like trying to coin us as Silicon Harbor. And, you know, and so I was like, okay, well, what can I do right now? And so I was a member of the, the New York supply chain meetup, which a bunch of venture capitalists in New York um, had set up. And it was both people from inside the supply chain and logistics industry as well as outside. And the goal was to uh, disrupt, supply chain and logistics, which is the next industry to be disrupted. If you look at the bell curve of industries that have been disrupted, which are on the right side of the bell curve, like accommodations, Airbnb, um, taxis, Uber, the next Uh, industry to be disrupted, which we are in now, which is in the curve on the left side of the bell curve is supply chain and logistics. And it's a $15 trillion opportunity. So it's a massive opportunity. So these venture capitalists in New York are getting these people together to learn about it. That's where i I met the co-founder I was building this software for Merswith, And so when I was coming back to Charleston, I said I want to stand up the Charleston Supply Chain Meetup. And so they set me up with the collateral and the support system to do that. So I did that. And the goal was to use that to funnel startups in supply chain and logistics into Antimatter. You know, cuz my time with BetaBox of that I knew my I was going to be with BetaBox for a limited amount of time, 2 years. You know, I wanted to take them from point A to point B, get them point B, get them a institutional round of funding and then let them go on you know that's that's how i envisioned it so i was just looking around and i wrote a white paper on why i thought charleston south carolina would be the global headquarters for supply chain innovation and i laid it out in a thesis somehow the senior editor of the economist for north america got a hold of it and contacted me and came down and had lunch with me in charleston and he corroborated all my assumptions and then the company that i'm working with now contacted me and asked me to stand up a global accelerator in Charleston with a supply chain and logistics theme. And as of the past five months, I've been fundraising for that, you know, through corporates. So that's how it all happened. And um, that's really the last 13 months. So
2: well, so you've seen your fair share of startups. So what is a one of the biggest mistakes that people make when they are starting a company, is there any advice that you would give? Like, do not do this or anything, any lessons that you can help our (laughs) listeners with?
3: I would say do not, I would just say, follow your heart, find something you're passionate about, you know, because it's, it's not all rainbows and butterflies Mm -hmm. and, you know, I, I, I invest in people, you know, and, a lot of times, people hear venture capital; they think it's all about money, investment banking, private equity. It's not. The only thing at this at this um, level with uh, early stage companies that we know about financial projections are that they're wrong. Hmm. You know, so I'm investing in people. Okay, well, what are my investment criteria? And again, I know this from Sean Maroney. My investment criteria are two things: one is an insatiable thirst for knowledge, and two is what Angela Duckworth calls grit, which is a combination of passion and perseverance. And I feel like if you have those two things, there's a very, very high likelihood that you can be successful. And if I do my job correctly, which is keep you happy, healthy, confident, focused, plug in where you need resources, remove obstacles, you will be successful. And that's, you know, that's the um, investment criteria that I look for. And so, you know, what's an insatiable thirst for knowledge It's like, can you outpace me? You know, every time I talk to you, who's telling who what to read or listen to? And if you're mm-hmm. telling me I listen to this, you need to listen to that, then you're outpacing me, and I was like, okay, well, that's a good enough bar for me. You know, if they're if they're doing it better than I am, then that's that's easy enough for me to, you know, keep my eyes on that.
1: So when you look at the community of Charleston and you think about resources, obviously you're a resource, right? And there's a lot of other resources. You mentioned the Harbor Accelerator, and um, when you think about the startup community here in the Lowcountry Country. What would you point to as some of the key resources that either, A, has been instrumental for you or you see those listening this morning that say, hey, I'm thinking about this. I'm getting into this. Mm. They should
3: turn to. You know, Harbor Entrepreneur Center uh, Venture South, Eric Tommy, done a fantastic job. I mean, it's more than just like an investment group. To me, it was kind of networking uh, and meeting folks, you know. Uh, that's it. There's a lot of people in Charleston that are get, put yourself out there, get on your soapbox, pound the pavement, be relentless and, and demand that, you know, people help you essentially. And there's a lot of people that want to help. You know, there's a, there's a great documentary about venture. It's my favorite documentary on Netflix called something Ventured, And it outlined venture capital appeared in the 1960s. And this documentary captures like what, what is venture capital? Mm-hmm. And there's a, in that documentary, they mention a professor at MIT, that French guy, who, it was a class, it was called something else, but he taught them about what would eventually would be called venture capital. And he taught them how to read the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal or something. And the way that he taught them how to do that, he says you flip it over and you start by reading the obituaries. He's like, because if you're the type of person that has made it to the obituaries of the New York Times, then you have done something correct in your life and you should strive to be like that person. And that was the first thing he taught them. And I found that to be profound. And so sure enough, I just sought, pe- sought out people that were successful and asked them and implemented it and synthesized it myself. You know, And it doesn't have to be a local community. It can, I mean, it can be anyone. You just got to have that insatiable thirst for knowledge. And, and were
1: you surprised, Michael, about you, you sought out successful people, how willing they were to share knowledge and wisdom and help?
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. I think a lot of people
1: believe that, you know, they won't give them that. And I find it to be completely no, the opposite.
3: Nobody right? is successful on their own. Everybody mentions, like, why do you help people so much? It's because I was helped. You know, nobody does it on their own. And they get that. That's kind of the ethos of success. Well, I think our lightning round is going to be a little fun here today. What do you think, I know, Leslie?
2: I know, I know. Is that all, We're is winding that that it time? down, yeah. All right. I've, this, it is uh, people you know, stories you don't. So I got a couple quick questions for you. Um Best movie of all time.
3: This is the hard part of the show. Uh-huh. Interstellar.
2: Interstellar. Best book you've ever read.
3: Modern Man in Search of a Soul by Carl Jung.
2: The most influential person in your
3: life. Like that I know personally or mm-hmm. that? Yeah. Jim Newsom.
2: Awesome. And uh, the thing you are most proud of at the moment in your life so far.
3: Told you we were going to My ability think. to think I before I answer.
2: <laughs> That's a good one. And number one thing on your bucket list,
3: what do you got to do? Probably disrupt healthcare. Disrupt
2: healthcare. That, right. Right.
3: that I know. was the other side of the list. Exactly.
2: Right? <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I
3: knew
1: when we had your uh, your bio, and it said Michael also loves doing nothing. That caught my attention, by the way. <laughs> but doing nothing is quite the contrary of what is happening. Michael's always thinking, reading, discovering, exploring, experimenting in every facet of life. The mind is like a parachute; it only works when it's open albert einstein so i knew when i read that in your your intro we were in your bio we were yes. in for a great show today <laughs> thanks for your wisdom and your insight uh michael congratulations on your success and certainly uh we're looking forward to hearing uh the great things yeah yes. and where you continue to take uh, antimatter again uh michael uh rents who is the ceo and co-founder of antimatter here in charleston Thanks for your time. Thank you. And you've been listening to Beyond the Business, presented by the College of Charleston School of Business, where students are beyond ready to work. They're ready to make an impact.
2: That's right. And go to our Facebook page and follow us at Beyond the Business on Facebook and also on Twitter at BTBCHS.
1: And until next Saturday morning, Lowcountry. Have a blessed week.
0: Thank you for listening to Beyond the Business, brought to you by the College of Charleston School of Business. The College of Charleston School of Business, where students are beyond ready to work, they're ready to make an impact. Tune in next Saturday morning at 9 for Beyond the Business, hosted by Eric Cox and Leslie Haywood, and heard exclusively on News Radio 943 WSC. The College of Charleston School of Business is recognized among the top 30 colleges for studying business abroad by the Business Research Guide, with nine undergraduate majors. 10 minors in six concentration areas, an honors program in business, and master's programs in business and accountancy, the College of Charleston School of Business has more than 3,000 students enrolled. Their students are ready to work, and they're ready to make an impact. For more info, visit sb.cfc.edu.